Hey man, I got the blood flowing, ready to uh, now focus uh, with your ears on what the Lord wants to say to us uh, through his word. We're going to this morning take a look at a number of different passages uh, throughout scripture. So uh, just get your Bible loosened up and limbered up so we can look at uh, a number of different places. I think a Bible in your pew in front of you if you didn't happen to bring yours with you. I encourage you each week to do that, uh, to bring yours with you though, so you get used to finding things in, in your own Bible. Well, this morning we continue a series that we've been talking about, Living in the Zone. Uh, new concepts uh, for us. And let me just uh, share a little story as we think about uh, that living in the zone. And for those of you maybe who aren't here with us last week, living in the zone, very simply, is finding that, that area, which a zone is different than the area around it, finding that place where we can enjoy God's blessings. Finding that sweet spot of God's success, that sweet spot of God's blessing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Caleb, my oldest son, uh, really enjoyed this past year the uh, opportunity to get to move into the youth group. And when we were at the church in Ohio, uh, they had a service on Sunday nights, and they would have a worship service, and then they would, they had a youth center, so they'd go downstairs, and they had um, uh, foosball and ping pong or uh, pool table and, uh, and different air hockey, different things down there that they could do and hang out in video games and all that fun stuff. And they also had this bar kind of area where they could buy food and, and get some things to eat and snacks and whatever. And one night I went to youth with Caleb and he said to me, hey dad, you know, after the service, could I have some money? So uh, I gave him a few bucks and he went downstairs and Pretty soon I kind of caught back up with him and he had bought some of these. I don't know if you've ever had these. These are sour punch straws, sour straws. And he bought a big package of these. He was eating these and, uh, you know, they, you know, a big old strip of sugar covered in sugar. That sounded pretty good. Uh, so I said, Caleb, can I have one of those? And he looked at me and had him hold them in his hand. He said, uh, no, you can't have one. <laughs> now, I don't know. That probably has never happened to any of you, your children. Uh, but I thought as that, had that experience that there were some things that Caleb at his young age didn't quite grasp. One thing was I didn't need his sour straws. I could have gone down, I had enough money in my wallet, I could have gone down and bought every single sour straw the youth department owned downstairs. I could have showered him with sour straws. I could have poured sour straws on top of him. I didn't need his sour straws. The other thing that I don't think he grasped, he kind of forgotten, is that I had given him the money <laughs> to buy the sour straw. So it's not out of line, I didn't think, to ask for one of the sour straws. Something else I don't know that occurred to him at the time that runs through my mind is that Caleb, being now 12, uh, really if I made the decision, I could take the sour straws from him. Now there may be a day when I could not take the sour straws if I wanted to take them from him. He's still at an age, he's quite a bit smaller than me, and I could just physically take them if I wanted to from him. There may come a day when I'll get my arm broke if I do that, but that day has not yet come. And so I could, if I wanted to, physically take all of his sour straws if I wanted to. Now as that relates to what we're talking about today, as we come to church today, Here's reality. 
all of us have been given sour straws. Some of us have been given by our Father a small pile of sour straws. Some of us sit here today and we have a medium-sized pile of sour straws. And some of us here today realize as you sit here that God has blessed you with a gargantuan pile of sour straws. Reality, again, is every sour straw you have comes from God. And God does not need, just like I didn't need Caleb to give me sour straw, I could have gotten the sour, whatever I wanted. I had that ability. God doesn't need our sour straws. But occasionally, or actually, when we think about how that all relates to us, just like I asked Caleb for a sour straw, God asked us to bring him a sour straw or two. And so this morning, as we think about this idea of living in the zone, living in that sweet spot of God's blessing, just consider this question. How do you react? How do I react? When God asks us, ask us for a sour straw, is our reaction like, Caleb, no, you can't have one of my sour straws. These are my sour straws. Or do we say to God when he asks, sure, understanding some of the things that we just talked about that Caleb doesn't quite understand about what he's been given. Some of the things, some of those same things we struggle with in our lives, don't we? When we think about God and we think about who he is and what he has done, we realize again that everything that we have, all of our stuff, all of our sour straws comes from him. And this morning we're going to talk about sour straws. We're going to talk about stuff. We're going to talk about money. Just to be up front with you. We're going to talk about it because Jesus talked about this subject. He talked about it more often than he talked about prayer. He talked about it more often than he talked about heaven or hell or even faith. Why? Because we struggle, we all struggle at times with how to manage our sour straws that we've been given. We want to be very practical on every level in this church. We don't want to just talk in, in theory and not give you practicums, ways that you can put what we're saying into practice in your daily life. That's why this morning we talked about that Financial Peace University. We would love to help you in very practical ways to take care, to manage what God has blessed you with. And I know that there are times that we struggle with that and, and, and we, get in, we, get, we make some bad decisions. We have some issues and we need help. We'd love to help you. So if you need help in this area, I don't want you to sit here today and feel guilty. We would love to help you. And so today there's a table in the lobby. You could go there and inquire, get engaged in that. We would love to help you. We want to be practical in what we're talking about. But this morning, Jesus, we realize, talked often about sour straws. What does God's word, if you remember that video, 800 scriptures that talk about, talk to us about sour straws. Let's look at some of them today as we think about how we can again live in this sweet spot of God's blessing in our lives. Now, last week we got the subject introduced and we talked about blessing and that's kind of a subject that we struggle with sometimes because everybody throws that out. Well, God bless you this, God bless you that, and somebody sneezes, God bless you. What does that really mean? We give a, gave a definition from Ed Young Jr. 
That definition is this, that um, blessing is being on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. Now, intangible is those things that we can't see, feel, touch. It's those, it's joy, it's peace, it's tranquility, it's, it's grace, all those mercy, it's all those things that we can't, we can't, it's not, not uh, in the physical. But then there's also those ways, the tangible that God blesses us as well, all this stuff, all of our sour straws, those are all his blessings. So blessing is the intangible and tangible, it's all lumped together. And we talked about, and if we could throw up that, that uh, on the screen, we drew a little picture last week. And in that picture, we had uh, this, let me just kind of go over it because this is the foundation. We need to get this before we move on. We have the zone, and the zone is where we want to live. It's that place where God wants to bless us, and a zone is different than the area that surrounds it. So we have the zone, and God the blessor, that's a word we made up, God the blessor, uh, he, he chooses and he decides, whether it's a small pile, a big pile, a medium-sized pile, God blesses us, pours blessing out on us. And so we are blessed. God the blessor blesses us in this zone. In turn, like we read in Abraham's story, that God said to him, I want you to go to this place, and I want to bless you so that you, in turn, can be a blessing. That same deal is what he wants for all of us. God the blessor wants to bless us so that we can in turn be a blessing to other people. And that happens, that transition from being blessed to be a blessing happens with two steps. The first step is we receive the blessings. I think every single one of us could look at our lives and say we've been blessed by God. There are things, ways, different ways some tangible, some intangible, and say, God has blessed my life. So how do we make that transition? We, from receiving, that's step one, we receive the blessings, we're all there, okay? How then can we become a blessing? We must receive them, and then we reflect back in different ways, back to God, back to people around us. We reflect back that same character, that same thing that God has given us, and what is, what is the character of God? The character of God is that God today, in the Green Bay Packer game, in the end zone, when, when they're kicking the fifth or sixth touchdown or extra point after the fifth or sixth touchdown that Green Bay gets, there'll be a sign invariably in the end zone. And what will it say? John 3.16. When you see that sign when you're walking to the Green Bay Packer game today, be reminded at 6.30, kick off at 6.42 or something like that. Um, Be reminded that God so loved the world that he gave. That's the character of God. The character of God is that he gives to us. And so when we receive from him, then if we want to then in turn be a blessing, then we reflect that back throughout our lives. That's, That's fun. That's what God has given us the ability to do, to be a blessing as we live in this zone. He pours blessings out. We have, in turn, the opportunity to be a blessing to others. But there's this other land outside of the zone that we sometimes dabble in. We may stick a foot in. We may be camped out in. And we need to pull ourselves back into the zone. And that zone, that's the thing that's outside of the zone is the land of Ing. The land of Ing is when life becomes all about and we focus on housing and owning and buying and selling and all of the bling bling of this life. There is a pull into that land of Ing, and we must, as God's people, resist that urge. And so when we take our Ing, when we move out of the land of Ing into that place where the blessor is, and he puts his bless with our Ing, then we in turn become a blessing. 
That's God's plan. And so how do we do that? Let me give you some practical steps as we think about that today. The first, again, we draw from last week. When we talked about that, uh, we think about some practical steps. How do we live in this zone? Practical step number one was that we think of everything that we have, not as an owner, but as a manager. Caleb saw his package of sour straws as he, I'm the owner of that package. We don't see what we've been blessed with. We don't look at everything as I'm the owner of that, but I'm the manager of that. Both the tangible and intangible, everything that I have, my abilities, my personality, the home that I live in, the car that I drive, the family that I have, every, the job, my career, everything, the money in my bank account, everything is his. I am the manager. He is the owner. And even though it is, you know, I have it in that sense, it came from him and I'm the manager. And so it's an attitude. Step one of living in the zone, I must have the attitude of a manager. Step two is I must make zoned-in decisions with what I've been blessed with. And so that's where, you know, we, it's easy to live in the land of talk. And in the land of talk, we, we think about it and we agree to it. And we could all sit here today and we say, yeah, absolutely. There is an area that we need to live in and, and that's God blesses us and we should in turn be a blessing and we can talk and we can say amen, we can raise our hand, we can celebrate that. But, it, but we must make the transition, the journey from talking it, from mentally agreeing with it to living it out. And so that transition then into the land of do is where we make zoned-in decisions with what we've been blessed with. We make a zoned-in decision that I'm not going to live in the land of ing. And in the land of ing, life becomes, it's my stuff, it's my possessions, it's my sour straws. That word mine, 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 mine resonates in our lives. When we make zoned-in decisions, again, we see everything that we have. It's God's that I'm managing, not owning. And I live that out. And a principle that I want to throw out to you then, a third step that we're really going to camp out to on today is the bulk of our, the remainder of our time, is that we need to live with the attitude and practice first things first. This is a principle that we see throughout Scripture. Actually, you might have read a, a book by Stephen Covey. He's a, he writes books in, business, in the business world, leadership world. Stephen Covey actually stole that name. I guess God didn't copyright it. So uh, he stole that principle from God, that first things first. The book's fine, book's great, good book, but it's not really talking about what we're talking about today. God first talked about this idea of first things first in Scripture. We see it when a great example is in the Old Testament when, when God had rescued the people out of Egypt. He was leading them into the promised land. And he said, as they go into the promised land, the first city they were going to take was a city called Jericho. If you uh, grew up in Sunday school, you might have sung a song, and the walls came tumbling down. Talking about Jericho, that God, God gave them this city. He knocked the walls of Jericho down, and he gave them this city because he's giving them this whole land, and it was the first city of all these cities he's going to give them. And God said, this first city that you take that you conquer, I want you to give it, give the spoils of it back to me. And this is what it says in Joshua 6, verse 24. It says this, they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. We see this principle of giving God first, first things first. We see it in this example. Another example, when we think about 
This idea of the firstborn in Exodus 13, this idea of the firstborn was a powerful example in Scripture. In Exodus 13, 2, it says this, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Again, this principle that when a child is born, they are to be consecrated. When an animal is, is born, the first uh, born from this womb, those things are to be consecrated, to be set aside. That's what that word means, to be set aside for God's use. And so literally what they would do, that they would sacrifice those animals. They would take that firstborn animal and they would sacrifice it. They would give it back to God. They were living this first things first, literally, model. And we see God also modeling it for us ultimately. When he gave his firstborn to us. Look at this passage in Colossians 1, verse 15. It says this. He is the image, talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God gave us his firstborn son. He gave us the best that he had to give. And so again, we see this principle, first things first. God models it for us. There's also not only this example of the firstborn being given, but we also see in Scripture, starting in the Old Testament, this idea of the first fruits. In Exodus 13, or 23, verse 19, it says this, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. That second part, um, Jim Schooneman, who's the uh, chairman of the, the uh, advisory council, he's going to get up later and explain that part to you. I'm going to focus on this first part. Um, Give the firstborn of uh, uh, the first fruits from your soil back to me. We see this principle again of giving the best back to God. When the story of Cain and Abel, we sometimes scratch our head and we think, well, why did, why did God accept Abel's, sac- uh, Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Well, let's look at that example. I think we see maybe why, potentially. In Genesis 4, verses 3 and 4, it says of that, time. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first, some of the fruits of the soil, some of the fruits of the soil, as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So Cain killed Abel. God accepted Abel's sacrifice. Cain didn't like that. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Abel's sacrifice was out of the firstborn. Out of the best that he had, the first, he didn't know if he was going to have any others, any other uh, would be born from his flocks. The first that he had, he gave back to God. Imagine the scene where Cain is thinking about what he's going to offer as a sacrifice to God. Here he is, all the crops have come in, the bushel baskets are everywhere. He's going into his storehouse and he's deciding, well, you know what, I can afford to give God that. And I can afford to give God that and maybe I can afford to give God a little bit of this. And so he takes that and he gives that as an offering. Not, a, not out of trust, not out of a place of believing that it's, it's out of what he really could afford, we see. Whereas Abel gave out of the firstborn. And so that is a powerful example. The firstborn, the first fruits, trusting God with the rest. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 kind of summarizes it when it says to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats with, will brim over with new wine. And that relates to our stuff. That as we give him back out of the first fruits and we live in that zone, that yes, we've been blessed and we are willing to give it back, 
then he blesses us in turn. Can somebody bring me a $100 bill? Okay. Now that's why he's chairman of the advisory committee. Thank you, Jim. So does anybody want to go to lunch? <laughs> okay, $100 bill. That's, that's a nice gift. Thank you. You are so generous. Now why did, why did Jim, now none of the rest of you, I see you jump up. You're kind of looking around like, okay, somebody else be a blessing. Um, nobody else jumped up. Why? Well, Jim jumped up because this is my $100 bill. I gave this $100 bill to Jim, and I said, Jim, when I ask for it, when I say to bring it, you bring it. Jim brought it. He did what I asked him to do. Now, will somebody, will somebody bring me a $10 bill? Can you bring me a $10 bill, Judy? Or whoever? Whoever's first. Somebody bring me a $10 bill. Okay, it's a race. It's a race. It's a race. All right. Here you go. Here, here, here. I'm sorry. I don't have. Hey, he's younger. He's a young. Here's a young guy. Here you go. No, give me that back. You were first. He was first. No, give me the money. Don't get in trouble. Thank you. No, you can keep yours. No, you keep it. No, no, really. No, you keep Then you put it in the offering. You keep it. <laughs> Is that a, that's a $100 bill. You keep that. Now, Lynn, did I ask you? Did I ask you guys for, I, I didn't ask you. No, I didn't talk to you guys. I want you to keep that. That's what God has said to us. Jim brought me my money. Everything we have, every $100 bill you have, God gave you. Every sour straw you have, God gave you that. And God says, which is awesome, it's a pretty good deal. I'm going to give all of this to you. And all I'm asking back is that you give me back 10. It's a principle that we see throughout Scripture, is this idea of the tithe. The, uh, we see it with Abraham back when he, and we talked about it last week, but Abraham was, he, God had blessed him and, and he had won this, this battle and he had all these spoils from that battle, the spoils of war from that battle and he, he comes back through, before he'd gotten home and he see, this guy comes out, this guy by the name of Melchizedek and he comes out and he, he's, he, he's the priest of the Most High God, he's representing God and, and Abraham, out of this abundance that he'd been blessed with, seeing everything he had, the, all these spoils, all the gold, all the silver that he'd been blessed with, it, it came from God. And so he gives 10%. He gives, Scripture says, Genesis 14, he gives a tithe. We see that principle that's carried throughout Scripture, that God has blessed us. And he, in turn, says to us, now I'd like for you to then give back a sour straw or two when I ask it, when I, when I ask for it. I remember when Crystal and I were first married, we rented a home. And every month when I wrote that rent check, it reminded me that I was not the owner of that house. Every single month, I was constantly reminded I'm not the owner of this, house, of this home. Now, that principle, you know, why does God do that? When God says to bring the tithe, when he says to do that, when he says to give, when he says, when he asks us for a sour straw or two out of all that he's blessed us with, what that does, every time we give to him, what it does, it reminds us in a very practical way that I am not the owner 
I'm the manager. It makes us, it forces us to make a zoned-in decision out of the first fruits of what he has blessed me with. Before, before I go and take care of everything else, I'm going to give to God. When I practice that, that's living in the zone. When God has blessed me and I in turn say, you know what, God, you've blessed me. Everything is yours. I want to make a zoned in decision. I'm going to give back to you because you've asked for that. Then I'm going, then I'm living in the zone and I then become a blessing. This week, right now, there are people in Paraguay building a church building, representing almost 50, I think it's almost 50 of us. Down there, building a church building. We're going to have the opportunity to build a church building from monies that you've been given. You've been blessed. You gave them. We in turn give them down there in one of the poorest nations in South America. There's a church building that's going to go up and every single week people are going to be able to hear about the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's what we're doing. That's what it means to live in the zone when together we have been blessed and we in turn say, you know, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a part of that cycle of God doing that. There's a passage in Malachi this is God talking, not me. And God says it pretty straightforward in this passage in Malachi. When in Malachi, the third chapter, verses 8 through 10, he says this. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And this is where it gets fun. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Do you see that picture of God pouring out sour straws on us more than we can hold, more than we can eat? That's the, that's the cycle. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And that's when living gets fun, when we're on that edge of, of, of that place of obedience and we don't know how it's all going to work out and so out of obedience we give and we test God. And God, how many, how many of you could stand up and talk about how when you tested God, when you trusted him, when you had faith in him, when you, in many areas of your lives, and he came through every single time. What is the storehouse that scripture talks about? In the Old Testament, the storehouse would have been, been that place, would have been, the, would have been the tabernacle, would have been the temple where that storehouse, and he even calls it in that passage, my house. The New Testament equivalent of that is the local church. The local church, the bride of Christ, Scripture says, this place that, again, that, 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 that where we come and together as, as God's people, we come into this place and we, we work together and we do God's work together and Christ is the head of the church and he organizes us in such a way that we become the vehicle by which we are able to transmit that powerful message of the life-changing Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the church, the bride, the spotless bride of Christ. We should love the church. It is the storehouse. The storehouse is that place where we would go. If we're, there was a death in our family, if there was, a, if there was a, an issue, there was a need, there was a physical ailment, there was a wedding, there was a, there was a crisis, it would be the place that we would go for help. That's the storehouse. The place where we're, where we're growing spiritually, that's the storehouse. And so we're told to give to the storehouse. Now let me kind of end with a fun example that I want you to, we don't have time to really unpack it, but I want you to take it, I want you to write it down and please read and study the scripture this week. 
this is an awesome, fun scripture that should be a great illustration of what God wants in our heart. And it is in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. What was going on was this church, this little church in Macedonia. Uh, what had happened, Jesus Christ had died, he had cru been crucified, the church had begun, it had begun in Jerusalem and it had begun to, to grow out from there and the church in Jerusalem, the place that, where it all begun, had, had started to get, uh, endure a lot of persecution and they were taking their homes and they were taking their, their resources, their monies, they were throwing them in jail, those Christians there in Jerusalem. And so what the church leaders decided to do was from all then these outlying churches that had begun to spring up and God was planning these churches through these missionaries all these other churches, they began to take collections from them so they could help out the people that were in desperate need in Jerusalem. And this little church in Macedonia, this is their story. Uh, Paul uses it as an example to the church at Corinth of how they should be acting. And so this is what he says. It's an example to us. He says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace of the blessings, the sour straws that, that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. These were not people that had a lot of sour straws. They had a really small pile. But there was, they, they wanted to participate in what God was doing. And so it says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Can you imagine that? These people that didn't have anything that were, they said, living in extreme poverty were saying, can we please be a part of, of blessing these people that need help? We want to give. We want to be a part of that. Do you see the joy that they had, and that is the joy that we can have when we are living in the zone. We've been blessed, and even though it may not, we might not have much, but we, are, we just want to be a part of that cycle of blessing other people, and that's what they had. It says that they did not give, did not do as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. See that principle of first fruits? And then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And I would say that to us, that we need to bring to completion this act of grace on our part. We need to model the same thing. And I would say to you, as he says to the church at Corinth, but as you excel in the in everything, Paul writes, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, and your love for us. And I would say that this is a great church. You excel in, the, in, in faith, in earnestness, in knowledge, in love for each other. You do that. And also, as Paul says to them, I say to you, also see that you excel. Excel in the grace of giving. To be a part of that cycle of blessing. God wants us, to, wants us to live in the zone. I want to do something that is something that we can all do together. The last Sunday of this series, I want to ask us to do something. Let me ask you as your pastor. I want us to give a first fruits offering as a church. And what that very simply is that everybody, that this is, if this is your church home, if this is the place that that uh, you're growing, this is the place that you call home, this is the place you'd go if there were a crisis in your life, then this is your, your church home. And the last Sunday of this series, which is February 3rd, and I ask everybody in the congregation that this is your church home, to give a tithe of what God has blessed you with for that one Sunday. 
everybody that one Sunday. So you might give quarterly, you might give at the end of the year, you might give once a month. Whatever you do, modify it for that one week. And that one week, let's all bring, as, as that Malachi passage says, to bring the tithe into the storehouse. And the end of that verse is what we really want to see God do. Not that it's in some monetary way. But if we together would do that. And then to expect together that God would open up the floodgates of heaven and pour his blessings out on us. So that means maybe, maybe you, might, you might be given 3% or 5% or 8% or, or whatever. Maybe you're not giving anything at all. But this one Sunday, you would with us all together give out of the first fruits of what God has blessed you with. And I'm say some of you, I know that, that you maybe are self-employed and you really know what a weekly salary is. Well, what'd you get last year? Divide it by 12, then divide that by four. Get that number. If you need some help, I've got a calculator. I could sit down with you if you need to help to figure that out. But I'm sure you can uh, probably figure that out generally. We're not looking for exact numbers. But let's together do that and see what God would do. And let me just say one final thing, and that's this. People get real nervous when you talk about this kind of stuff. I recognize that. Thank you for listening and hopefully not drawing preconceived notions of any reason why except to share with you the full counsel of God's word. This is a great church. We don't have money issues. There's not money problems. But there is something that you will miss if you don't get this principle in your life. You'll miss a blessing. And so if you're here today and, and I don't want anybody to walk out of here feeling guilty, if you don't give anything and you say, I don't know how in the world I could ever tithe. I don't know how in the world I could give 10%. Well, maybe you could start with 3% or 2% or 5% or 8% or whatever it would be. Start somewhere. And if you're at somewhere else, maybe God's saying to you to move up to 10% or maybe some of you are tithing 10% and out of obedience to God, you need to do more than that because he's blessed you with this big pile of sour straws. I don't know what God is saying to you. It's between you and God. But if you will walk in obedience, I absolutely guarantee you, God will bless you. Let's stand this morning. Father, God, thank you for your truth that is always relevant, that always is helpful to us. Sometimes we need to learn from it and grow and make decisions based on it. And today, Father, I pray that you would speak to all of us. Help us, God, as we walk out of here to celebrate to be thankful, even as we sing this last song together, to be thankful, God, for what you have blessed us with. Father, help us to begin to live our lives and not as owners, but as managers, to make zoning decisions, to practice a first things first, God. We're giving to you first. You have blessed us with so much. You have provided for us. You are awesome, God. We celebrate you. We love you. And God, thank you for what you're doing through this church, blessing us so that we can be a blessing all over this world in this community. Thank you for what you've taught us today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As we sing this last song, let's celebrate and be thankful for what God has given us. As you leave today, again, if you're here for the very first time, we want to welcome you to First Church. We're glad that you're here. As you go down this gathering area, as you pick up a donut and maybe a cup of coffee on the way, all the way to the end of that hall to your right is a little room. We'd love to give you a little gift and, and get to meet you. We're so delighted that you're here. May the Lord bless you. Go out of here encouraged at the blessing that he has given you. And now, as you've been blessed, be a blessing to our world. Lord bless you as you leave.